Hi, this is John Moore, and this is the podcast for More in the Morning from News Talk 1010 AM in Toronto for Friday, October 14th. Let's say good morning to Scott Reed, former advisor to the Prime Minister of Canada, now in private practice, and we're very, very happy to have him on News Talk 1010 for his analysis. Uh, happy Sweet Friday to you, Scott Reed. <laughs> happy Sweet Friday. Okay, it's so. Sweet, Sweet Friday! Blue Chase meet Cleveland tonight. Uh, you going to be watching? Going to make any predictions? I am going to be watching, and I'm. I'm very pumped about it. Before I make a prediction, I want to say this. I'm, not only am I excited about it, but I'm excited for them to win. Uh, I'm one of those fans. I do not really notch the fact that we're there as good enough. We've got to win this thing. We're going to lose Batista. We're going to lose Encarnacion. So we've got to win, and we've got to win now. So that's, to me, like, wow, so hard in baseball to advance deep in the playoffs. We've done it, but it's not good enough. We've got to get to the World Series. And, and I think it's going to be a really tough series. I think the Jays are going to take it in six or seven, uh, provided our starting pitching holds up. But I think it's going to come down to who's starting pitching is better, and they've both been pretty good this year. Okay. Well, I'll be watching amateur that I am, but I'm wearing my Blue Jays hat today because, as Robert Turner says, I almost broke my leg getting on the bandwagon. <laughs> hey, there's plenty of room. Okay. Uh, any thoughts? It's just quite a remarkable uh, article today by uh, Sam Pisano in the Toronto Sun about this lawyer, Randall Bars, who was shot a month ago. And, you know, he talks about the fact he took two bullets in the leg and how he wasn't thinking straight, so he actually walked towards the gunman before he decided, I got to get the hell out of here. And also says he's not going to change a thing about his life. <laughs> well, that sounds like a bad idea to me, because I, I don't think this was a very random event. Don't want to speculate beyond that. Don't want to cast dispersions on anyone's character. Um, but you wonder if maybe there's a link between how his life has been lived to now and that particular traumatic event. So um, it's it's a striking story. It feels like it's out of Law & Order SVU. Yeah. But, you know, uh, wouldn't you want to make changes if you were getting shot at? Wouldn't you say to yourself, I'm going to, like, just trace back my day in my mind and say to myself, let's find four things that I could have done differently, and let's start doing those. Hold on a second, Scott, because we haven't talked to Trump yet, but the campaign kind of reached a fever yesterday. I wonder if the fever is going to break before Election Day or it's just going to be an incredible four weeks. We'll continue the morning brief right after this. We are now 25 days away from the election and Donald Trump is burning up like a meteor entering the atmosphere. This week, five women have come forward to claim he behaved inappropriately with them, touching, etc., including a reporter from People magazine and a former beauty pageant winner, which is very bad news for his campaign for president. The good news is he just got an offer to be the spokesman for Jello pudding. <laughs> if it's relevant, it's on more in the morning. Toronto's breaking news, traffic, and weather continues on in-depth radio. News talk 1010. 625 is the time. It's six degrees outside. Temperature's been going down instead of up over the last little while. It's the morning brief. And Scott Reed is here. Scott, yesterday Donald Trump was in Florida, which can be called a battleground state, but at the moment Hillary is running away with that state, and it's a very rich one when it comes to the Electoral College. He called his accusers horrible, horrible liars, and then said he would offer evidence in due time. Let's listen in. Think of it. She's doing a story on Melania, who's pregnant at the time, and Donald Trump, our one-year anniversary. And she said, I made inappropriate advances. And by the way, the area was a public area, people all over the place. Take a look. You take a look. Look at her. Look at her words. You tell me what you think. 
I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. And Scott, the inference there was she wasn't hot enough to uh, molest. Yeah, brilliant defense. Very compelling. Totally gives you the sense that as a point of principle, this is something that would be beyond comprehension for Donald Trump. Because, you know, he only sexually assaults women who are smoking. I guess the case rests then. I, I know that we talk constantly about Donald Trump. I know that we constantly talk about how our jaws drop and the things he does and says and how unconventional his candidacy is, sometimes how offensive his candidacy is. But I've worked in politics my whole life, and I just want to say for the benefit of anybody that's listening, the speech that Donald Trump gave yesterday was without a doubt the most startling performance, most shocking, bizarre, and frankly frightening performance we've ever seen from a major nominee, either of the parties in the United States or for that matter anybody we've ever seen in Canada, and I mean that in the post-war era. His speech was a incoherent, attacking, rambling, non-strategic, self-destructive rant that undermines, frankly, the process and the legitimacy of American politics. And what was most stunning about it was that it was done deliberately. This wasn't a guy who went off script and just started ranting and couldn't be controlled by his campaign. This was on the paddles, in the teleprompter. The speech, as nuts as it was, as burned the city to the ground as it was, had been written for him, and he read it exactly as it was written. This is the speech he and his campaign want. This is the campaign that he and his campaign want, and it's going to get nothing but ugly from here on in. Okay, so is your read, I was reading another person's analysis on this, was there's no way they can turn it around, barring like, you know, uh, a dirty bomb going off in Manhattan. So all they want to do is get revenge on the Clintons and, and, you know, come election day, they'll just walk away. I think that's a misreading because Donald Trump doesn't care about the Clintons ultimately. I mean, he was notionally their friend 12 years ago. Now he's against them. It's Donald Trump and Donald Trump. It's always about him. So I just think this is the expression of narcissism and megalomania. We're dealing with someone who has a manifest personality disorder. So what we're hearing is not really about the Clintons. It's him ranting on and on about himself, and the Clintons are collateral damage in that. Unfortunately, however, the electoral system is also collateral damage because he says everyone who is not with him is therefore corrupt and awful and that includes the outcome of this election unless he wins it and you know what there's 60 to 65 million americans who will vote for him that means there's 60 to 65 million americans who've listened to these arguments and have reasonably concluded that he's right that is a dangerous portion of your society to be walking around thinking the very tenets of how we elect our people and run our society are wrong these guys are playing with matches. Scott, great to have you. Talk again Thanks soon. A lot. All right, Scott Reed, former advisor to Paul Martin, Prime Minister of Canada. These claims are all fabricated. They're pure fiction and they're outright lies. It was a real shock when all of a sudden his hands were all over me. He started encroaching on my space. And I hesitate to use this expression, but I'm going to. And that is, he was like an octopus. It was like he had six arms. He was all over the place. These events never, ever happened. More in the morning on News Talk 1010. So this whole Trump business, along with the ongoing Cosby mess and the Gian Gomeshi trial, has prompted a lot of conversations amongst people about how men treat women, how women behave if they've been assaulted. But I think the Trump thing takes it to a new plane. And that is, especially with the second woman, you, or with the woman you heard in that clip there, 
who is now 74 and retired in Manhattan. But she said, yeah, it was the madman era. 70s and 80s, I was a businesswoman. Men grabbed me. I just put up with it. I never said anything. And that prompted a listener named Barb to send me an email about her Aquafit class, about how she ended up in a conversation with a bunch of senior women, and almost every single one of them had a story to tell. And we thought we'd put in a call to Barb this morning. It's nice to have you. Good morning, Barb. Hi, good morning. So this was an Aquafit class, much like the one my mom used to attend. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was during the whole Gian Gomeshi business, Mm -hmm. and people just started talking. What did they say? Yeah, so it was almost like this spontaneous senior consciousness raising when we were just discussing it and then in the change room there was about six of us and in a circle in our bathing suits everybody shared a story and the similarity was that whether it happened 30 40 or 50 years ago not one person had ever told anybody and that was just the way things were so one woman and it was funny because even though she had never told anybody her recollection was clear as a bell. She said, when my son was a baby, and he's 50 years old now, a salesman came to the door, which they used to do in those days, and he was selling me something, and all of a sudden he grabbed me and started kissing me, and I had to push him away, and I never told anybody. And another woman said, when she was in her 70s, she said when she was in her 20s, she worked in an office, and her boss was relentlessly pursuing her. He didn't touch her, but he asked her out non-stop, wouldn't take no for an answer. And she said, one day I just packed up my desk, I took my purse, and I walked out the door, and I never, ever told anybody why. And we all had stories. They weren't rape or aggravated assault, but they were gropings or vile comments, and you never shared it with anybody. It just, you were taught to be ladylike, and that's a very an expression I was thinking about, what does that mean? It's like you're supposed to be nice, you're not supposed to make a fuss, and you're supposed to just pretend it didn't happen. And I think these events with Trump and before that with Gian Gomeshi and Bill Cosby sort of trigger something. You say, wait a minute, this something like that happened to me, and I never... I pretended it didn't. So I think it's, it is... It, it does bring out a lot... Everybody I've talked to at my age, I'm in my 60s, has... Most of them have a story, something that happened, somebody said something horrible or touched you, and you just pretend it doesn't happen. Yeah. It didn't it's happen. Kind of, it's depressing to think of how common it is, and I guess that's what yeah. we discovered in that conversation. Yeah, and I think now, yeah, it was, it was. I think it doesn't happen as much. Now. If it happens now, women say something. They don't act like it's their fault. I think nobody ever said it's your fault like somebody i think i told you this was very to me it's embarrassing it was a shameful i went out with somebody and wasn't as bad as Django Meshi, but when we were alone together he started biting me and it hurt and i i just pushed him away but i never told anybody and when my friend who had uh sort of set me up said why won't you go out with him again i didn't tell her i just didn't want to talk about it it was almost like if I say something, it makes it, people will say, "What did you do?" Yeah, yeah and that do? was the assumption back then. Well, you must have been wearing a short skirt. Exactly. Yeah. Why were you in a room alone with him? But you think young women now are are are, are tougher? I, you know, from my experience, um, just I'm around a, a lot of twenty year olds. I think the the boys. I think the boys have changed. I think boys have been brought up, young men, to that in a world of equality. And one of the things I was thinking about was how. 
the young women I know, they're stronger mentally and physically. And I think this is going to be an odd thing, but I think because they play sports, we never did. We didn't play sports. That's what boys did. They compete. They, you know, they're in university in massive numbers. There's so much more self-esteem. There's so much more sense of my body is, is, you know, my body and I am strong and you can't do anything without. That's my sense of it. Yeah. I hope I'm right. But I do think there's a change from our our era when, you know, you were the weaker sex. And I yeah, don't think anybody yeah. says that anymore. So. Farm, thank you so much for your story. I really appreciate that you're able to come on and tell us. And I loved the email that you sent in. So oh. I hope this gets people talking. Yes, I hope so. Thank you so much. It was nice to talk to you. Take okay, care. Bye. That's uh, Barb. And uh, all this started because she sent in an email, essentially the story that she just told. And you have to wonder... In how many collections of older women is that happening? How many people looked at that retired businesswoman in Manhattan and said, yep, I've been there. Now, none of the accusations against Donald Trump have been proven, and he insists that he will disprove them, that these women are horrible liars. So the jury, I guess, is still out, though there never will be a jury. Five women have now come forward to accuse Donald Trump of inappropriately touching or kissing them as recently as 2005, said Trump, I would never do that, and anyone who says I would is me on tape on a bus with Billy Bush. More in the morning on News Talk 1010. That's essentially what the New York Times lawyer said to Donald Trump's campaign lawyers yesterday in a hilarious response to their threats against the New York Times. They said, you got to take the story down about Donald Trump and we're going to sue you. And they said, listen, we have, there's nothing in the article that Donald Trump hasn't already said he does. So uh, lump it. Take us to court. Go ahead. Ed Prucci, of course, is our legal analyst on News Talk 1010 and joins us. Good morning, Ed. Good morning. It's pretty awesome when the late night comics basically write your statement of defense for you, isn't it? Exactly. Now, I mean, but it's an interesting case here because Gomeshi, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, and and Cosby as well. When you're accused of something like this, you generally don't sue because if you sued, you'd end up on the stand and then you'd actually have to testify anyway. Well, that is the danger, isn't it? I mean, once you and Trump has this kind of visceral knee-jerk reaction quite often. I mean, he's he's known to be very litigious uh, and ha- has lashed out at many outlets before uh, and many people before when he feels that he's being unfairly maligned in the media. Now, when you're a presidential candidate, if you don't expect to be unfairly maligned in the media, you're probably in the wrong line of work at this point, or at least the wrong line of public service. Um, that's not free reign to publish things that turn out to be untrue. But, I mean, these papers uh, and outlets are solidly within their rights when somebody comes to them and says, this is the story, you know, do your fact-checking to the extent possible, throw your allegedly's in, as media are required to do, uh, and then go ahead and run with it. The people who, if anything, are, are, are subject to liability are the women themselves, if it turns out that they fabricated all of this. I mean, the papers and the outlets are only going to be in trouble if they negligently publish something that they knew to be false or didn't properly do their research, etc. So this sounds like a lot of bluster. I don't think it's going anywhere. It's probably the only rational response, at least rational in, in Trump's mind, uh, that he can make at this stage. And let me ask you on another story. You've probably seen the Toronto Sun Today cover story all about Randall Barrs, the lawyer who got shot last month. He's yeah. back at work and says he's not going to change a thing. Yeah, you know, I, I was talking with uh, your producer, Jesse, just before we came on the air, and, and my view as a fellow criminal lawyer is if you get struck by lightning, does that mean you're never going to go out in the rain again? We criminal lawyers just go out and get an umbrella. It's his job. It's his career. Uh, I'd be back at work, too. 
Yeah, okay, but it's kind of, I'm reminded of Scott Falkenbridge, the stand-up comedian who talks about being struck by lightning. He says, maybe you shouldn't be out on a lake in a steel boat holding a steel pole over your head. <laughs> well, I don't think that our careers are quite equivalent to taunting uh, the powers that be to strike us down with lightning. The reality is that criminal lawyers, lawyers in general, but criminal lawyers in particular, very rarely targeted by their clients or otherwise. It's almost unheard of. Uh, that's not to say, if I get shot, obviously I'm going to be thinking about it. But uh, you can't shut down your life at that. He's got a, a career and a practice and a pretty good one at that. Uh, I'm not surprised that he's back at work. Thanks a lot, Ed. Always a pleasure. You're welcome. And on this follow-up Friday, two road stories. Siobhan Morris starts with a check-in on what the provincial government told us was going to be a better, faster way for you to get around when you're alone in the car. Here we go. You've been living with them for about a month now. HOT lanes on the QEW between Trafalgar Road in Oakville and Guelph Line in Burlington. Elise Jumanski drives that stretch back and forth five days a week for work. I come from the 407 as a commuter. So given the chance to blow by other cars for way less money... I was pretty excited. Dumanski is one of the chosen thousand or so drivers picked in a lottery for an HOT permit, but things haven't gone the way she hoped. My commute was increasing, I would say on average from 15 to 30 minutes each way. She says she's often found herself stuck behind a slow-moving bus or RV. Dumanski really wanted to make it work. You know, I tried it at all different times to see if there was some sort of traffic window I could get into. A News Talk 1010 traffic reporter Lisa Morales watches over your drive every morning. How has she seen the HOT shift the flow of cars? I really don't think that it has changed um, anything in as far as a pattern of traffic is concerned. Remember, money was a big reason Dumanski wanted an HOT permit. Just three days on the 407 costs the same as one month of HOT lane access. But she's willing to pay that extra. My regular commute is about an hour and five minutes. Tacking on an additional 15 to 30 minutes is a huge deal for me. So I guess how I justify it is I'm really paying for that time to be at home with my family. An update on another story that played out on the roads at Danforth and Logan in Toronto. A scene this hour of unimaginable horror. A man has been sent to hospital. His life is hanging in the balance after being covered by hot tar. Reporter Haley Cooper was on the scene about two and a half weeks ago. A man hauling tar slammed on the brakes of his truck to avoid rolling over a torch that had fallen onto the road. That's when the 400-degree tar splashed forward like a wave pool and covered the worker inside, trapping him as it hardened. Well, this week, we checked in with the Ministry of Labour. Our investigation is still ongoing in this matter, and we have learned that the worker is still in serious condition. It could be a while before we find out if the ministry thinks the man's employer could have done anything differently to keep him from getting hurt different training or equipment. Conceivably, an investigation can take up to one year to complete. That doesn't mean it does take a year, but that's our time frame. We have one year in which to lay charges. With a follow-up Friday for more in the morning, I'm Siobhan Morris. Thank you, Siobhan. There's a great follow-up in today's edition of The Sun from Sam Pisano. It's a follow-up to whatever happened in that story where a hired hitman walks up to a lawyer in downtown Toronto and starts pumping bullets into him. 
he's the luckiest lawyer in the world, honestly. I mean, not lucky to be shot, but I mean, a guy comes to kill you and he hits you twice in the leg, doesn't get a bone, doesn't get an artery. You get away. He's ambushed by police because police were watching at the time. The lawyer, Randall Bars, is back at work. There's a picture of him in his robes coming out of a courtroom, dragging his suitcase full of documents behind him. And he talks about that day in dramatic detail said that the guy just walked up to him and he heard four pops and all of a sudden he's lying on the ground bleeding out. And then, of course, he got up and said, I got to get out of here. But he ran towards the gunman who was already in a getaway car. Gunman looks up, sees that he's still alive, starts firing through a closed window that shatters. Bullet from that volley goes through a door around torso height, but there was nobody behind that door. Finally, Randall Bars, the lawyer, decided he was going to ankle it back to his office, and he ran, bleeding the whole time, as police ran up to the gunman and fired into the car, hitting but not killing the gunman. The big question everybody has is, okay, what's the relationship? Why did they do it? What, why, who hired the gunman? And lawyer Randall Barr says he has no idea. He says, you know, in a long career, you're going to have clients who lose who are mad, clients who win and have enemies who are mad at you. I don't know. He says there are two psychopaths out there who know the guy who shot me, and the guy who hired him. The Roundtable, brought to you by The Simple Investor, making the world of real estate investment simple. The Free-For-All Roundtable, round one. Round one, and on the round table today, we've got Jerry Agar from The Jerry Agar Show, 9 to noon on News Talk 1010. Christy Blatchford from The National Post, and of course, you can hear her twice a day on News Talk 1010 Radio. And Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to The Washington Times, and he used to write speeches for Stephen Harper. Uh, good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Good, good morning. morning. Yeah, all right. Uh, sorry, just getting all my pages in order here. Uh, let's start with, and you know, it's not, as we say, uh, debatable, but what a remarkable tale is told in the pages, pages of The Sun today. Lawyer Randall Bars talking about being taken down by a hitman last month and says he hasn't really changed anything in his life. Um, maybe I should start with you, Jerry. <laughs> Um, we had Scott Reed on earlier this morning on the morning brief, and he said, you know what, if somebody fired four bullets at me, I'd rethink a whole bunch of things. Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting that he's saying he has no idea why he was targeted. That just seems not that credible. I mean, um, he's lucky that this guy was more of a misman than a hitman, uh, but so he's not very good at his job. Yeah, I know. I hate to mock a hitman, but honestly. Right. Yeah, he's just uh, probably not going to get future work. But you've got to look at your life and say, you know, I don't think these things are that random. Uh, there, there has to be a reason it was me. And maybe it's just that he just really doesn't want to tell us. Could be. Uh, of course, I mean, you've even got a book out right now. You've spent a lot of time covering criminal law, Christy Blatchford. It's just it's an extraordinary tale. It is, and it's a it's a rare uh, happen, happening too, as Ed Prucci said uh, earlier. I heard you when you had him on. This does this isn't normal for most defense lawyers. Um, but what is he to do? I mean, what he's saying is he doesn't know who the shooter was. He didn't recognize this guy and he hadn't seen him before. But I think he may have some idea of who hired the shooter. Who, incidentally, if you're, you know, if anybody's looking for an inept hitman, it would be government, surely, because 
they like inept everything, right? They could. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess if it was being run by the provincial government, uh, they wouldn't get the job done, and then we'd get a really inflated bill for it. Exactly. Thank you for reading my mind. <laughs> Michael. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll just sum it up this way. I mean, I don't obviously know what happened. None of us do, and maybe it was a random shooting, but you have to consider the man's client list. He deals with, he's defended murderers, drug rape, druggists, and other people. And when you have people who are sort of in the, the uh, seedy underworld, so to speak, speak, you have to think that there's got to be some connection to it one way or the other. And if it's a fluke, well, it's a pretty massive fluke, if you ask me. You know, I asked Ed about this one time, and he said, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that a lot of times the lawyer's the only friend they've got left. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, that's, I, absolutely that's true. a good point. I can only speak to the TV world, but uh, I always understood if you defended bikers that they'd defend you to the core. Exactly. Now I know why my father went to estates and wills. <laughs> you know, no, bikers, <laughs> hey, bikers are very charming and loyal until they aren't. Yeah, true. <laughs> So uh, this is a complicated lawsuit, but basically uh, Ontario has to pay 25 million bucks to a company in the United States that feels it was stiffed because they were going to build windmills in the water in Ontario for the government or for Hydro One, whichever division. And ultimately that got kiboshed and now we have to pay 25 bucks to make it up to them. Jerry, is this your first, uh, this must make a good portion of your show today. <laughs> well, actually, I'm going to talk about it at 9.08, but uh, just to give away the story here, uh, the headline is not the story. Uh, in fact, they buried the lead, as far as I'm concerned. The $25 million is a drop in the bucket. The $5.2 billion wind project remains in place. That's where we're blowing it. 4% of our power comes from wind, and 20% of our bill comes from wind. It is time to stop this insanity. Michael Tobe, yep. some people would say the reason it's such a mess is because we're only halfway into the program. That if we had executed this properly, we would have wind power, we'd be using less natural gas, and things would be better. That's possible. I don't disagree with that. I mean, the one thing I would say is when I was in Ottawa, I actually had a hand or a pen in the first major announcement that the federal Tories did with wind farms. I mean, that was really the sort of the push at that point. I think it was either 07 or 08. And we really had sort of high hopes that, you know, we could sort of transform environmentalists or people who are interested in the environment to the Tory cause. And obviously that didn't work very well. And, you know, it's kind of sad that, you know, the Ontario Liberal government really hasn't learned their lesson either. There has always been inadequacies. There's always been ineffectiveness in terms of the economic measures of this type of thing. And while wind farms are nice in principle, they don't work very. They don't work perfectly, and that's why we're seeing problems today. Uh, we're learning of new plans for more condos in downtown Toronto. Probably not a big surprise, uh, but twin 72-story towers for the corner of Young and Carlton Street. Uh, Christy, that's just one of the plans. I was looking at another one yesterday online of two 32-story towers proposed for King Street East, which does not have a lot of high-rise. Um, I, you know, I don't want to be some kind of Luddite, but I do worry we're going pell-mell and this, we're changing the city so fast we're not going to recognize it and we may have regrets. Um, well, I guess we may, but uh, this is all part, as I think I understand it, of the sort of densification plan where you build high on major already busy streets and build lower on, you know, secondary roads. And you can really, Young and Carlton is one of those intersections that has been massively underdeveloped for a long time. Um, I, I'm not terribly offended by the notion of 272-story towers. Um, if you're going to build them, and we clearly need more condos because people are still buying them, then you better build them where they're meant to be built. In other words, on the big roads, near the subways, etc. 
Uh, Rana Tierra, do you worry that we're uh, moving a little bit too fast? Perhaps a little bit too fast in that we, we have to make sure that our infrastructure is able to handle all of that. I'm not offended by the towers themselves per se, but I just don't want to be swamped and unprepared for everything. When well, people, you're right, and we will be. Yeah, when, <laughs> okay. <laughs> when people look at a city, you watch a sporting event, and they give you, as they're coming back to the next inning or in quarter or whatever the sport is or period, uh, and they show you some shot of the city, it's never, ooh, look at all the little buildings. It's always the skyline <laughs> with the big, tall, iconic buildings and the CN Tower. It, that That's what turns people on. And it that's the yeah. city. But I have to tell you, if you've ever walked the streets of Hong Kong, you'll know it's like being at the base of the Grand Canyon. Yeah, sure. No, you know, what's wrong with the Grand Canyon? You want to live there? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. <clears throat> you want to live in the it's Grand kind Canyon? Of cool. Have you ever been there? <laughs> of course. Okay. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I think it's nice to see. I think projects like this should actually be desirable for the city. We're growing. The population is increasing, and there's more people coming in. There's more need for this. Yes, it looks different, and yes, I mean, I think 30 years ago, no one would have assumed that Young and Carlton would ever look like this, but the future is just, it's going to be very unique to see how it looks in the city and what follows it afterwards. Yeah, all right. Well, after the show, I guess I'm all by myself and throwing wooden shoes into a factory. Pretty much. <laughs> okay. Throw them no, hard. Still you throw wooden shoes into a windmill. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, Donald Trump yesterday oh, more or less boy. doubled down and said, liars, you're all liars, you're all lying. And then I always love it when Donald Trump does that and he says, and I will produce proof in due course. This was not just a lewd conversation. This wasn't just locker room banter. This was a powerful individual speaking freely and openly about sexually predatory behavior. These claims are all fabricated. They're pure fiction and they're outright lies. The claims are preposterous, <coughs> ludicrous and defy truth, common sense, and logic. There's so many angles to this. I think a lot of people were trading a letter from the lawyers of the New York Times yesterday because it was so funny. Donald Trump's lawyer said, we're going to sue because you're ruining his reputation. And the Times says, what reputation? Uh, Michael Tobe, you've spent yeah. your time around political figures. Oh, yeah. uh, this is, I mean, <clears throat> for me to be this crazy and still four weeks away from voting day is distressing. No, I agree. Look, I will be happy when this is over. I've been talking about this for 16 months on various stations, including this one. I don't have much left to say. I mean, I have just watched one of the wildest and craziest campaigns, generally speaking, by one person, just run all over the place. And unfortunately, Donald Trump is going to leave such a mess behind <clears throat> when he loses. And I don't know if he'll lose badly, but he'll definitely lose on November the 8th for the conservative movement. You'll have the Trump faction that will be sitting there trying to take over the Republican Party. And you'll have other people who are sort of aligning, like Mitt Romney, John Kasich, and others who said they're going to try to take it back. I think, <clears throat> unfortunately, that's what's going to be the lasting impression of the 2016 presidential campaign. Donald Trump will go on and do other things. But the damage and the mess that he has left all conservatives, including myself, really, <laughs> we, we should send him a bill. All right. He, he was never a part of the conservative movement. What, he's not. No, he's not. And But what he did was co-opt the two things that many people who are supposed to be in charge of the conservative movement screwed up on, which is illegal immigration and terrorism. Yep. And uh, the people who now are uh, sort of saving their own reputations by jumping off his bandwagon better realize that those issues still matter and not say, oh, look what happened with Trump. Trump is not 
not flaming out because of the, uh, the conservatism. He's flaming mm -hmm. out because he's a boor and an idiot. It's not the message that's the problem, Jerry. It's the messenger. I know, and that's but, the well, issue. It's what I always <laughs> said about Rob Ford. Right message, wrong yep, vessel. Exactly. Uh, Ron Atiera. Well, not really. He won and, and actually drove some of that forward. Uh, well, not for long. He was no, missing uh, after oh, about 18 oh, months. Okay, but it's not the same situation. Hey, Trump's, Trump, 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 his message is also not on target either. He is saying these women are lying. These women have no basis in their allegation. And I'm kind of tired of him being compared to Gomeshi. Gomeshi was not running for prime minister. Gomeshi was not running for president well, of the country. Well, how about comparing him to this then? I did not have sex with that woman, okay. Monica Lewinsky. He faced the yeah. music. It was done. He's dealt with it. He's uh, the no, consequences it, of it. That's where the analogy is. Yeah, but then two yeah. wrongs don't make a right. Oh well, I'm Donald Trump that. did I'm it. I'm saying that. I'm I mean, not saying Clinton that. did it. I'm not saying that. You're looking for an analogy to use. It's not Gameshi. You're right. It's, and, it's, and these women, should, just because they're coming out now, I'm also tired of people saying, "Well, why are they coming out now?" Because 30, 40, 20 years ago, it was not okay for women to come out. Women do not have the power to do that. If women were, were to come out, they would have either not been believed. If they were believed, they would have been blamed. If they weren't blamed, they would have been, oh, come on. That's what, you know, you're women. That's what guys Put do. Up. That's what guys do. Locker room talk. I am so frustrated by it. I, well, you got four sons, right? I have three sons. <laughs> three well, sons. if you want to consider my husband a son, because he's a child too. <laughs> Absolutely. But oh, I would nice. never <laughs> allow my children to behave that way towards women. And I'm tired of women. Also, Gameshi was not proven innocent. He was not criminally guilty spoken like a lawyer I'm well it, it, spoken like a lawyer me arse uh he was <laughs> he was acquitted in a criminal court so it is uh, you know the, the yes comparison. he was acquitted meaning not guilty doesn't yes. mean innocent no but th th this Rona, this isn't something a lawyer should be saying i mean the, no, we uh, don't have a verdict in this country of not proven as they do in some parts of the world he was found not guilty and you don't get to say sneeringly you know brackets but he really was but which is what you're saying well, well that's what everybody that, said well, yeah, yeah but that's Rona's true. a lawyer she knows yeah, better yeah. i know better and i know that sometimes it's the law that says you're technically not guilty this Doesn't wasn't mean a you're technical not knockout i was in that courtroom he was found not guilty because those complainants yes. lied or they did not uh, they present lied. themselves properly. No, they lied. I don't know that if okay, it was all... I was there. You were not. Argument. Yeah. Jerry Agar has left the room. <laughs> Jerry Agar has left the building. And uh, I got to call it there, so we'll ring the bell, and it's time for the 8 o'clock news. That's the podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. Hope we'll talk again soon.